Kamna Mauri, this is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Coming up. Seafood industry groups have now expressed caution, calling for a pause or a moratorium. A new study looks at the effects deep sea mining will have on tuna species. Also, even though we've had a restricted preparation, we're still looking good. Ikaletahi takes on Australia this week. And later, gospel music show Soul Sessions returns for its third season. A new study shows that tropical fishing grounds and potential deep-sea mining locations could overlap as tuna species migrate due to climate change. The study, published in Nature NPJ Ocean Sustainability, says the total biomass for big-eye, skipjack and yellowfish tuna in the clarion Clipperton zone is predicted to increase between 10 to 31% by mid-century. Potential deep-sea mining could also take place there. Seafood organisations are now calling for a pause on deep-sea mining, including the Global Tuna Alliance, whose industry partners account for roughly a third of the global tuna trade. The lead author of the study, Diva Amon, speaks with Caleb Fotheringham. We know from previous modelling that tuna are migrating eastwards in the Pacific Ocean, away from many Pacific small island developing states' exclusive economic zones into the high seas and eastward. And so we wanted to look into what the overlap might be between potential tuna fisheries in the future and essentially the potential industry of deep seabed mining with this uh, changing ocean as the sort of seascape for it all. And what we found is that these two industries are on a potential collision course set against climate change. We are seeing that big eye, skipjack and yellowfin tuna fisheries are going to increasingly enter the CCZ. Populations there are going to increase but from 10% to 31%, which is a pretty substantial amount. And that means that if deep sea mining is happening in that area, where they are going for a climate refuge may actually be very inhospitable to them. And this could be deeply problematic for management of the high seas in the future. And also potentially have implications for economies, well-beings, livelihoods, and of course, biodiversity. So what are the potential conflicts that could happen with tuna fishing and deep sea mining? There's a few potential conflicts. So first, there is the issue of the impacts to fisheries from deep sea mining. So we know that deep sea mining would generate two plumes from the actual mining activity. And one of them, we're not sure at what depth it will occur yet. It could be at the surface. It could be a few hundred meters down. It could be at the deep sea floor. There are no regulations to determine what depth that will be put back in. But that plume will contain sediment, it will contain water that is of a very different chemistry and temperature, and potentially small pieces of metals. And that plume could essentially have quite an impact on tuna, perhaps impact its feeding, its breathing, its vision, increase the fish's stress hormone levels, and cause potentially illness or migration away from the area. Then we also know that mining is going to be really noisy, very, very, very noisy. And so, again, that could result in physiological and behavioral impacts on tuna, as well as the prey that they depend on, because, of course, this is a connected ecosystem, right? And then we also know that this plume potentially, as I said, could contain metals, some of which can be toxic. 
And that could actually become incorporated into the deep sea food web and end up entering our seafood supply. And even if there are only low risks from this accumulation, it could still have a negative consumer reaction. So there are potentially, as I said, you know, implications to economies and so on for Pacific small developing states or coastal Pacific states that, that fish in the area. And lastly, there could actually be physical conflicts. So we know that if deep sea mining occurs, there will be an increase in the number of vessels in the Clarion Clifton zone. And that could cause a conflict with fishing vessels in the area. And these impacts could end up changing who can be able to participate in activities there, probably with fishing vessels ending up squeezed out, perhaps. And that could end up having further knock-on effects on biodiversity. So, for instance, we know that tuna are responsible for these really complex relationships with seabirds where they help each other feed in the high seas. And so, again, things like that could be impacted. So really, there are a lot of potential conflicts here. So obviously, deep sea mining is such a new industry. There's so much unknown about it all. Mm -hmm. Could it be possible that the effects that it will have on tuna fishing could just be quite small? So I think that answer will depend on the scale of the mining and how the mining takes place. And we don't actually know how the mining is going to take place. There are estimates, and those estimates look to be incredibly damaging environmentally. And then in terms of the scale, again, yet to be seen, but the scale that we're looking at is essentially going to be one of the largest um, exploitative activities in the ocean, stretching, you know, a million square kilometers from Hawaii to the coast of, to the exclusive economic zone of Mexico. So this is not an inconsequential area. So any activity, especially one which is essentially going to cause irreparable damage in that ocean ecosystem, that probably is going to have some knock-on effects to tuna fisheries. We don't know the extent of them yet. And there are so many unanswered questions, as you pointed out. That's because of this lack of basic scientific knowledge and understanding. You know, many scientists are asking for more time to be able to answer these critical questions so that if deep sea mining does move forward, we can manage it in an effective way. And it seems like seafood groups it's almost off the back of your study have called for a pause on deep sea mining yeah exactly so recently there's been a um, statement released from a number of um, seafood industry groups and that actually includes the global tuna alliance whose partners account for 32 percent a third of the global tuna trade and the sustainable seafood coalition which represents about 45 seafood organizations. So these are some pretty big players in the seafood um, industry and fisheries. And they have now come out and said they are concerned about the risks of deep seabed mining. We don't know enough to know that we won't cause significant harm, including to fisheries. And so calling for a pause for the move from exploration to exploitation. Is this the first time these groups have come out and said that? Exactly, it is. So previously, some years ago, the only fisheries organization to have made any statement on deep seabed mining was the Long Distance Advisory Council out of Spain, but no other fisheries group has. So this is a pretty big deal that many of these seafood industry groups have now expressed caution and caution to the point of calling for a pause or a moratorium. (laughs) 
The Tongan Ikalitahi rugby team meets Australia A in their first Rugby World Cup warm-up game on Friday. Coach Totai Gifu and his players have had a disrupted camp in Tonga because flights from Europe for some players did not happen until July 10th, nine days after the camp started in Nukualofa. Gefu has named former Wallaby Israel Folau and former All Blacks Trio Malakai Fikitoa, Charles Butau and Vaya Fifita in a starting lineup. Elias Satora spoke with Gefu on the Ikalitahi's preparations. How has uh, uh, training been in the last two weeks for the Ikalitahi? Oh, it's been, to be honest, it's been a little bit disruptive. Um, we've had some issues with flight, so we probably miss, um, you know, half a week, three, four days of training, which is disappointing. But, um, you know, we're, we, we're doing the best we can to get the boys ready. Do you have uh, all, all your squad members there now in, in Kualofa? Um, we got uh, we got our last player in on Monday, um, which was, we, you know, we wanted everyone in last Wednesday. But we still got some injured players and some players having babies. So we've allowed them to come in at a later date. Um, you know, they'll probably come in the next couple of weeks but we've got everyone here that we plan to have here at the moment. Um, Australia A in two days time uh, how is that looking up for the squad being the first game uh, this year? Yeah we're, like, um, even though we've had a restricted um, preparation we're still looking good you know the boys are, it, it helps when the players are really professional uh, really good minded um, have high expectations of themselves so that's helped a lot and as you know this is a different group um, a much a much much, much different group than what I've had before. So I'm really looking forward to playing two days' time. And, um, you know, whatever we do that day, I think we're just going to only get better. No. Okay. What What are you looking at uh, uh, being the first game for, for the for the players uh, in in Friday's game against Australia? What are you looking at from, from the team? Oh, look, obviously we want to perform well, um, but I think the prior, priority is to build, really build combinations and connections, um, really start to execute the way we want to play we get to the World Cup. That's probably the most important thing. So we have a game plan um, and we think, um, you know, we're 95% sure that that's going to be our game plan. There's going to be a little bit of trial and error, but we're we're pretty sure that's going to be 95% of our game plan. So we need to practice it. So all these games um, against Australia A, including the PNC, it's time for us to start executing that game plan. When do you go to, to Fiji for the first PNC game next week? Uh, we leave Thursday, so Thursday week, next Thursday. Um, and any word to the fans out there in Tonga? And any words for the fans out there in Tonga for Friday's game? Yeah, man. Um, you know, we've we, we've got the best fans in the world. They're crazy, and we absolutely love. Um, you know, there's plenty of space and tickets still left at Del Favor. To all our supporters, please come and watch. Uh, please cheer on the boys. They're really, really looking forward to putting on a big performance in front of their home country. A show celebrating New Zealand's vibrance and growing gospel music scene is back for its third season. Soul Sessions returns to the screens on Matariki, featuring live performances by musicians based in New Zealand and Australia. The show was created and is hosted by award-winning Kiwi Samoan singer Sarah Jane Elika, who joins me now. Talofalawa and Kia ora Sarah Jane, congratulations on the third season of Soul Sessions. How does it feel to have your show come this far? Oh, I'm feeling super excited. I mean, this is our third season now, so three years we've been developing um, Soul Sessions, and uh, 
this season it's just a real continuation of the Kaupapa of Soul Sessions. Super excited. What can viewers expect from this season? How will it be different compared to the other two seasons? Well, this season there's quite a lot of established artists that are on the show. So we've got Addies, we've got Miss Eureka, and we've got some non-vocalists as well. So we've got some instrumentalists on the show. And um, you really kind of expect a journey of uh, people's stories in the music industry, how gospel music has played a a key part in some of the life journeys that we all have and how music sort of um, is a real healer to kind of different situations that you go through in life. Why was it important to launch this season during Matariki? Well, I love the fact that Matariki is, you know, um, Aotearoa's first Indigenous holiday and there's such a connection with the stars and new life and refreshing and resetting your goals that when we applied to do the Soul Sessions 3 uh, last year, Matariki just came through um, as an official public holiday and so we put that in as part of our pitch that um, Soul Sessions can celebrate Matariki as a holiday through music and through um, a, a time of reflection and family. So um, when it got over the line, we were, we were super excited. So the Matariki show is a is a full music show. Um, there's no interviews on that, but we just um, show a difference of uh, Māori and Polynesian and English singing on the show as well. And it's a real fusion of where Aotearoa music is right now. So it's good. Nice. Would you say Soul Sessions is a safe space for the guests to talk openly about their faith? So so Soul Sessions is really about the, the genre of gospel music. And I think I really wanted to bring that genre to life in New Zealand because it's not just about, um, you know, whether you have a religious background or not. It's connecting a lot deeper to faith and spirituality. And, you know, with our um, Pacifica community, the, the spiritual side of life is quite alive and people are really open to talk about that side of um, you know the non the non scene stuff, and with faith based music, um, there's a lot of connection around uh, reaching out for hope, um, for forgiveness, uh, for reconciliation, and um, and to rejoice and praise. So you've got all these um, rich elements of gospel music as a, as a genre, and you don't necessarily have to be religious or have a faith background to sing gospel, you know, anyone can sing gospel, um, but but you do recognise when you have a gospel song, you know that there's going to be some entertainment, there'll, there'll be either a, a choir element, uh, laughing, crying, it's a very sort of expressive um, particular genre of music, and I think um, in the South Pacific, in Polynesia, Moana Nui Akiwa, in Aotearoa, New Zealand, we have uh, our own expression of gospel music, um, which I think um, the world is ready to hear. Yeah. So just stepping away from the show for a bit, how do you balance all these roles? I mean, not only do you host soul sessions, you're a mom and you sit on several boards. I mean, where do you find the time? <laughs> well, you have to be quite organised. Um, the with Soul Sessions, so we we have a, a great team that has a schedule, and uh, the time management part of um, getting all the artists in, 
getting the production team in. There's a, there's about 40 or 50 people that are involved uh, behind the scenes. And uh, we shoot the entire show over two weeks. And so um, all the artists come in. We have a TV studio for a specific window. So it's very, very um, structured in terms of timetabling. Um, and then when the show comes out for the public to see it, it happens over 10 weeks. And then there's another play out again on television through our partners. So it's quite staggered, which gives enough time for different people to see the show. Nice. But juggling it all that, um, yeah, it's a lot of time time management and a lot of um, people that believe in the kaupapa of the work that we do and uh, being being nice to everybody, not losing your temper, <laughs> trying to get along with everybody. <laughs> Looking towards the future, would you consider having more artists from the Pacific region on the show or would you even expand soul sessions towards the region? Oh, Absolutely. Definitely this season, in terms of its growth, we've brought a couple of artists over from Australia that have been based in New Zealand. So, for example, um, the boys from Eddie's, um, named he's over in Australia. He came back over onto the show specifically to talk about um, gospel music. We also have Julie Ta'ale, who was in the group Pacific Soul. She started off in New Zealand, did a lot of collaborations with a lot of New Zealand Pacific artists and now she's based in Australia. So the goal absolutely is to move into the Pacific region and I would love to do a soul sessions in different Pacific countries because I think every island has their own unique culture and their own unique music and arrangement of music as well and I would definitely love to do that. That's Pacific Waves for today. Don't forget you can listen back on rnzi.com slash programs. We're also on Apple, Spotify and iHeartRadio podcasts. From myself and the team here at RNZ Pacific, so far so far.